And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who loves earthquakes. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it a gorgeous day here on Milleronia. It's uh, it's been a while. It's wonderful to be back. Oh, and and gorgeous. You know what? This I mentioned earthquakes before. Well, well, I'll tell you something about more on Milleronia. That I'll tell you something about more on Miller. I'll tell you something more about. I'll tell you something more about Milleronia that way. But boy, oh boy, it's gorgeous. And uh, you know what? Of course, the music helps make it a beautiful day to me. I, I love it very much, and so does Colonel Jeff. And obviously, he's here now. It wouldn't be a show without him. And, well, he loves Milleronia, too. And not just because he's under threat of a volcano. He loves it because he loves it. Right? Right. <laughs> and at any at any rate, that, of course, was the Abner Biberman Orchestra and the Joan Fontaine Dancers featuring boy tenor David Calhoun asking the musical question, If your parents are rich dairy farmers and they die and leave it all to you, does that make you a dairy heir? Yes, it does, David. Good one. Very witty. It does. And uh, and guess what? That makes your kids dairy heirs, too. Like it or not. Well, you better give the dough to them. Well, you, you know, you, you got to give it to someone. I've never understood people who don't give things to their kids. Uh, what else are you going to do with it? And give it to the kids, or, or make it. Give it to them when they hit fifty, or something like that. So they have to make something for themselves. But uh, good question, David. If your parents are rich dairy farmers and they die and leave it all to you, does that make you a dairy heir? Yes, it does. And there's a reason I mentioned Abner Biberman and Joan Fontaine, but you'll have to wait till just a little bit later. And by PayPal. That's ah, a great group. I love these guys. And uh, they're, by the way, they're listed on our website. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> you can thank the colonel for that. He finds all these these neat things. I don't even know. I don't care whether that's baseball or high lie. By the way, I I think it's baseball probably. And uh, but <laughs> very well done there. So you we have a we have a banner there that says PayPal. So click that banner. That'll take you where you want to go. Boy, they make you feel like you're saving the world, too. If you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? 
you can do it all through PayPal. And uh, instead of saying donate or pay what you like and or join the Platinum Committee, I always like to say buy us some drinks because there are different levels to that. There's level one through five all the way up to we're driving to Florida. Boy, that audience was ready, <laughs> and they should be. You should be, and I should be. But uh, do that, folks. Look for the PayPal banner on our website, and uh, remember, well, every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thank you to everyone who's contributed already, and thank you to everyone who's about to because they're so charmed by my plugging it. And that's remember Larry Miller Podcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> that's now when that trumpet player, when that frisky trumpet player added that in on their recording session, it just suddenly felt to me like everyone else in the band just slowly turned and looked at him, including the conductor, and, and he. It might have been the last time he played something like that. Of course, it's hard with a fat lip to play well, something, something frisky on a cornet. <laughs> oh, folks, it's good to be back with you. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Boy, I love this. Suddenly realize it's not the joke of the week. It's not people who aren't strong. It's not the joke of the W-E-A-K. It's the joke of the seven-day period since the last one. The joke of the week. And there is nothing more wonderful than passing on a, a good hunk of humor to your loved ones and your family and your friends. If you like this one, as always, please pass it on to them. So there's, well, it's the very beginning of Earth. It's sort of like the, the the first day of Earth, and Adam is there, and God comes out of his clouds there and just looks right down at him and says, uh, "Okay, now Adam, uh, there's something very important I want you to do, and uh, you'll you'll do it for me. Let me just tell you what it is. First of all, there's a valley right over there. I want you to cross the valley." And uh, Adam says, well, "Wait a minute, what's a valley?" And God says, oh, well, uh, well, all right. And so he describes it to him. He gives him a full rundown of what a valley is. Okay. And then God says, all right. So you go down into the valley, and uh, there's a river. You cross the river, and Adam says, well, well, what's, a what's a river? And God says, uh, well, all right. You know, he realizes God has patience, too. Sometimes not a lot, but... He has it. So he says, all right, uh, what's a river? Okay. And so he tells Adam, he describes to Adam fully what a river is. All right. So you go down into the valley, uh, says God, and you, and you cross the river. And uh, then there's a hillside on the other side, and you and you, uh, you go up to the top of the hills. And Adam says, whoa, 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 what's a, what's a hill? And God now is thinking, holy mackerel, you know, uh, all right, uh, but he's got to do it, so he, he describes what hills are to Adam. Fine. And uh, God says, all right, now, so you get to the top of the hills. 
you go over the hills, you cross the hills, and there are caves there. And there's one cave in general, and Adam, Adam says, wait, wait, wait a minute, w what's a cave? And uh, God briefly considers just, you know, just strangling him or, or popping his head off like a grape. But after all, this is the world he created. So he says, okay. And he describes what a cave is to Adam. He says, you go inside there, all right? Now you, 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 you go... You go down to the valley, you cross the river, you go up top on the hills there. You go into the cave, and there's a woman in the cave, Adam. And Adam says, well, wait a minute, what's a woman? And God mutters, oh, good question. All right. Uh, and he tells him what a woman is. And he says, all right, now I want you to take that woman and reproduce. And Adam says... Uh, you know, wait, what's it? And God, you know, almost interrupts. Oh, I know, I know. What's reproduce? All right, fine. And he tells him everything about it. He tells him what reproduction is and how to do it. And uh, what, you know, what happens and how you get a kid from that. Adam says, fine. And he starts on his way. He goes down in the valley, crosses the river. He goes up to the top of the hills there. He crosses uh, the top of the hills and sees the cave. He goes into the cave and... uh just, you know, God, you know, says, boy, that took a lot. And God, you know, gets up from his stool there, and he's about to walk away. And sure enough, Adam is right back there, though. Adam is right back. And God says, well, that didn't take long. What happened? What's wrong? And Adam says, what's a headache? <laughs> from the very beginning. Oh, anyway. I hope you liked that one, folks. We liked it here, and I hope you pass it along if you do. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. beautiful. See, that's what a woman is, something that's beautiful and something that moves you and something that makes you happy. All right, maybe none of those are true, but it doesn't matter. I think they are. And that's a good way to say it here. Folks, this is a beautiful poem by a man who wrote great poetry. And oh, so what a writer this fellow was. His name was Rudyard Kipling. And among many, many other things he did, he followed the British troops, and he stayed with British troop movement all over the world in those days, in the 19th century and then the early 20th century. And he was in India with, well, a very large battalion of British troops, and this is where he wrote a poem called Gunga Din. And I know, uh, technically, I have already done Gunga Din, on our show here before, but I, I came across it this morning and uh, I asked Colonel Jeff when he got here, I said, uh, can we do the whole poem? Can we can we really take it and, and wrap ourselves around it? And he said, you know what? We can do whatever we want because number one, it's our show. And number two, we're on Milleronia. Who's going to tell you you can't do something? And I said, Boy, oh boy, are you ever a good producer. So here it is, a great poem. 
Gunga Din by Rudyard Kipling You may talk of gin and beer when you're quartered safe out here and you're sent to penny fights or aldershot it. But when it comes to slaughter, you will do your work on water and you'll lick the bloomin' boots of him that's got it. Now, in India's sunny clime, where I used to spend my time, a servant of Her Majesty the Queen, of all them black-faced crew, the finest man I knew was our regimental beastie, Gunga Dane. He was, Dane, 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 you limpin' lump of brick-dust, Gunga Dane. Hi, slippery, hitherto, water, get it, panilao. You squidgy-nosed old idol, Gunga Dean. The uniform he wore was nothing much before and rather less than half of that behind, for a piece of twisty rag and a goatskin water bag was all the field equipment he could find. When the sweatin' troop train lay in a sidin' through the day, where the eat would make your bloomin' eyebrows crawl, we shouted, Harry boy, till our throats were bricky dry. Then we whopped him, cause he couldn't serve us all. It was Dean, 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 ye Ethan, where the mischief have you been? You put some jewelry in it, or I'll marry you this minute if you don't fill up my helmet, Gunga Dean. He would dot and carry one till the longest day was done, and he didn't seem to know the use of fear. If we charged or broke or cut, you could bet your bloomin' nut he'd be waitin' fifty paces right flank rear. With his mussock on his back, he would skip with our attack, and watch us till the bugles made retire. And for all his dirty-eyed, he was white, clear white inside when he went to tend the wounded under fire. It was Dane, 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 with the bullets kicking dust spots on the green. When the cartridges ran out, you could hear the front lines shout, Hi, ammunition mules and Gunga Dane! I shan't forget the night when I dropped behind the fight with a bullet where my belt plate should have been. I was choking mad with thirst, and the man that spied me first was our good old grinning, gruntin' Gunga Dean. He lifted up my head, and he plugged me where I bled, and he gave me half a pint of water, green. It was crawling, and it stunk, but of all the drinks I've drunk, I'm gratefulest to one from Gunga Dane. It was, Dane, 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 here's a beggar with a bullet through his spleen. He's chawing up the ground, and he's kicking all around. For God's sake, get the water, Gunga Dane. He carried me away to where a dooley lay, and a bullet come and drilled the beggar clean. He put me safe inside, and just before he died, I hope you liked your drink, says Gunga Dean. So I'll meet him later on, 
at the place where he is gone, where it's always double drill and no canteen. He'll be squatting on the coals, giving drink to poor damned souls, and I'll get a swig in hell from Gunga Dean. Yes, Dean, 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 your Lazarusian leather Gunga Dean. Though I've belted you and flayed you, by the living God that made you, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Dean. Isn't that lovely, folks? Ah, oh, Kipling was great in so many things. What a beautiful story. What a what a great poem. And every time I've read that, I can just see this soldier on leave in a pub, maybe back home in England, or maybe he's already retired. And someone asks him there, do you have any stories that really stand out in all your years of fighting? It would be this story. Well, it would be that poem telling it. And, uh, folks, thanks, because the, the truth is that there's a reason I wanted to read that poem is because it fits in so perfectly that the magic movie moment I wanted to do today and let's give it the full introduction. Oh, that's beautiful. And the movie I wanted to talk about today was, well, Gunga Din. Starring Cary Grant, Victor McLaughlin, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Sam Jaffe, Abner Biberman, who I mentioned before, Joan Fontaine, whom I mentioned before, Henry Stevenson, so many others. Folks, it's a great movie. It's uh, from 1939, and it's, well, it's the story of Gunga Din. And these three men, these three sergeants, Cary Grant, Victor McLaughlin, and Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And Gunga Din is played by the great Sam Jaffe, someone else you've seen many, many times in many movies and TV shows. And the reason I picked Abner Biberman to just to mention, to give a, well, a big tip of the hat to is he played a character named Chuda, a very big part of the movie, who is the son of the head of the Tugs, the big murderous lot that is trying to, well, kill all the British there. And, oh, is he great. You you, you know Abner Biberman also from so many movies and TV shows. He was, he played the little gangster who was sort of the, uh, well, the partner and the uh, would do anything that Cary Grant asked him to do in... His Girl Friday, which is also such a great movie. And uh, he was so good in that. I remember seeing you know, Carrie Grant. They were all wonderful in that. I remember Carrie Grant at one point in His Girl Friday just saying to him, Well, I always liked you. I always liked you up to here. He points to his arm. Up to here. Up to here. And Bipperman is the gangster says, Well, I like you too, boss. But it's it's a great movie. And Abner Biberman was perfect for it, and he was great in this part. Uh, 
and Joan Fontaine. Good Lord, what a wonderful, gorgeous actress. And she plays, well, she plays uh, Emma, uh, who is the, uh, the fiancé of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And he's, uh, he's planning on leaving the service so that the two of them can get married and he can go into the, to the tea business. And uh, if that sounds a little like a big jump after all that fighting and all that adventure, well, it is. But you'll have to see the movie to see what happens in it. And Henry Stevenson, good Lord, what a cast. And there's a great actor and who plays Rudyard Kipling himself, uh, who is writing something in his tent. And it's something important because, again, he's he's following the troops around. He's with them. He's We use the word today embedded, I guess. But he's with them, and he did that all the time. And we see him finishing this in a tent, and he hands the poem to the commander. And it's, well, it's at the end of the movie, and a lot has happened. And I can't, and I wouldn't tell you the story, but Cary Grant Grant is wounded, and the great Gunga Din has taught them all a lesson by saving all their lives and sacrificing his. And the commander takes the poem that was handed to him by Kipling in the movie, and there are fires set around, the troops are all at attention, and he reads it in that last, well, the last part of it. So I'll meet him later on in the place where he has gone, where it's always double drill and no canteen. He'll be squatting on the coals, giving hope to poor lost souls, and I'll get a swig in hell from Gunga Dean. Yes, Dean, 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 you Lazarusian leather Gunga Dean. Though I've belted you and flayed you by the living God that made you, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. It's a great poem and a great moment and a great movie. And that's my magic movie moment for the day, for this week, for you. Please see that movie if you haven't. Gunga Din from 1939, starring Cary Grant, Victor McLaughlin, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Henry Stevenson, Joan Fontaine, and Sam Jaffe, and Abner Biberman. And uh, it brings so much together. I, I hope you love it, too. You know what? I can't imagine serving like that. In Well, I, I can imagine it, but I, I, maybe you feel the same way of, good Lord, in those days, from the late 19th century through the earliest 20th century, to be around the world, and protecting outposts and to, well, building new ones. And, uh, well, I travel, obviously. You know, I was, um, but it's amazing how you feel. I was just working in Tucson, Tucson, Arizona, and Riverside, California, with Jerry Seinfeld. And uh, he's always, as I love telling the crowd, you know, he's, uh, because it's true. Well, we've been friends since the day we met, and uh, he often you know, just he just calls a friend up for you know certain jobs and says, 
Hey, why don't you come out with me? We'll go to Tucson. We'll go to Riverside. And uh, and uh, that's a great call. You know what? I'll be there. And uh, the thing about Tucson is that it's... It, I don't understand how people feel about a cactus. Because it's a beautiful country. You know, I could call home to my wife. Hey, how's the country there in Tucson? Is it nice? Well, except for the cactus or the cacti. Uh, because those, to me, you know... I, I, uh, I hate them. I mean, how's the country there? Pretty? No. It's too many cacti. And they have, I mean, hillsides, folks, right outside the hotel. It's a nice hotel, too. And, uh, boy, right outside there, it's hills and grass and shrubs and and all sorts of things. And 130 cacti. I mean, right in the hills there, they have two kinds there. Maybe they have more. I'm sure they do, but... The ones I saw were the ones that, number one, go straight up. They had about 100 of these that go straight up, like 40 feet each and about a a foot thick. And they just go from the ground straight up. And as you know from every cartoon you've ever seen, they have needles. And they'll, maybe it's the cartoons I saw as a kid. And then if you walk too close, suddenly they'll, they'll just dive on you. They'll wrap themselves around you and... Good luck now, Potato Head. But then, of course, the other more popularly known one that you and I know and Colonel Jeff and everybody knows are the, well, cartoon cactus, where it has the centerpiece that goes up, you know, about uh, eight feet, ten feet or so, and then it has the two arms that go out. Yeah, that's right. In the cartoons, they'd wrap those two arms around you. Yeah, by the way, thanks, Warner Brothers. But because uh, I love all of this stuff, but boy, folks, you know what? I don't, I, I don't understand that. And in Tucson, you know, they also have, and I, and I don't quite get. And the people were terrific, and they love their city and their homes, but they don't love the Javelina pigs. Now, a friend of mine had pointed these out to me because they're they're all over. That you can't you can't get rid of them. They're all over in packs. All through, all around hotels and all over golf courses. I don't mean in the desert. They're just there. And their javelina pigs are bigger than regular pigs, but smaller than boars. I don't know what, why that makes me feel better or worse, but I don't get it. Javelina, by the way, javelina means if you're standing still for more than three seconds, I'll kill you. And they're very dangerous in the hotels. Everyone tells you, don't go near the Javelina pigs. Because why would you anyway? But people will do stupid things like that. And they tell you, don't do it. Don't go near them because they want you to. Remember, there's like a giant pack of them wherever you go. And suddenly, you're not coming after them. They're coming after you. And they're not kidding around. They'll kill you. And uh, it's illegal, by the way. <laughs> Laws are sometimes funny. It's illegal to kill or hunt them. I, 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 I don't know why. I, I would think it would be, I would think it would be mandatory to kill or hunt them. That you know, you just have to. That the hotel gives you crossbows or something. That's uh, so. There's some chance. So the thing has it. Just so you just fire one of those things at them. But boy, I'll t- I'll tell you what I, 
I didn't. I, I didn't want to see them. It's one of those hotels. Did you get out? Did you walk around? No, because of the javelina pigs. And just just the road from the airport, by the way, to the hilltops where this this nice hotel was, you could only go. They were nice roads too, but you could only go thirty or thirty five miles an hour. The limit, the speed limit, is thirty five miles an hour. And these are roads where it looks like you could go 65, but you can't. That's against the law. The law is you can only go up to 35 miles an hour. So I, I asked the driver, I don't I don't know, I, but in the area there, I thought, are there beeves around here? You know, meaning cattle. Is this cattle country? So they don't want the cattle just suddenly standing there. If you come roaring by at 65. And he said, no, is coyotes. Oh, coyotes, so that you could plow into a bunch of them. Well, they'd take that well, wouldn't they? No, they wouldn't. They make they make the javelina pigs look like tea time. But, okay, all right. And coyotes, too, are just another one of those places where, and I loved it there, meaning, again, I'm not just saying this. The people were terrific, great audiences. And beautiful buildings and the theater there and everything. There's some very old buildings and some new ones. Terrific place. But why settle there? It's one of the, one of those places in our country of if you're, you know, in a wagon train and you're going past, you're going further and further west and you get to a place with coyotes, javelina pigs, always over a hundred, really hot. What are you doing? Why do you think this is it? Honey, we're home. Well, here on Milleronia, folks, the plain fact is we have no cactus problem, number one, because I have made it legal and required to kill any cactus on your property. In fact, I haven't told you this yet, but we have a volcano number three just for that. I've told you about the two volcanoes. That's for people who do things wrong. And they're sure not happy when they're walked up to the top there and tossed in like a bag of garbage. But we have a volcano number three. We have a whole volcano just for the disposal of cacti. That's right. So you don't want to be one of the people, not on Milleronia, who say, oh, what a cute little thing. Let's plant that in the backyard. I wouldn't if I were you. Because if we discover it, and we discover everything, by the way, and uh, when we when we discover that you have cactus, big ones, little ones, arms, no arms, straight up, straight down, whatever it is, we immediately, well, we we send you the message, and that message comes at the end of a hot closed fist, and the message is, we're coming by in an hour with our crane, and with some helicopters, and they have leather straps. And also, oh, all sorts of things and hooks and things to get the cactus. You got to dig it up and not to grow back again, too. And we pick it up and we take it right by helicopter, right to volcano number three. And Ollie Dungmeister, the third, is that's a short ceremony for this one. The helicopter flies over number three and dumps it right in to the fire. And Ollie just says, good. And that's the whole ceremony. So we have a whole volcano just for the disposal of cacti. That's the way we all and I feel about them. I don't understand certain things 
of that happened with the earth. We had an earthquake back on the mainland the other night. You may have read about the one in Mexico. Those huge. It was just, good Lord, so many people lost in it and killed. And folks, I'll tell you, it's an it's another thing. Like well, my, I remember my wife and I and we're in bed. It was about eleven o'clock at night, back on the mainland. And Colonel Jeff felt it too, but it was uh, three point six on the Richter scale, nearby, about ten miles away from right where our house is on the mainland. And I'm telling you though, it makes you think. The thing is about three seconds long. It took and it just shook and shook. And shook, and so for, for you know, for earthquakes, it reminds you, folks. I mean, you know, my wife and I suddenly grabbed her hand, and she, oh, 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 because it reminds you, and then it went away. It reminds you how big those things are, and that one was only three point six. And boy, oh boy, you know, we've had well, the big ones, the big, big, big ones, and. They're far worse. But you know what? Even the little one makes you sit there. We looked at each other and went, holy mackerel. It reminds you of how much you don't want those around. And so you know what? Believe me, if I ran our country the way I run Milleronia, we'd find a way out of that. I promise you that. And you know what I know. Homer is Homer. And Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the only basic big truth I know. Be well. Stay away from the javelina pigs. And we'll see you next time.